Amen. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up with me to Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4. We're going to be in verses 23 through 31. Acts 4, 23 through 31. As you're opening up there, uh, I want to just say a word about how grateful I am for all the staff and volunteers who make our summer programs happen uh, for our children especially. We had VBS a couple weeks ago and now we've got McSpadden coming up starting tomorrow. Uh, For those of you who may be new, don't know about McSpadden, it's a music camp uh, that we host each year uh, here at First Baptist. Is this our our third or fourth year? Fourth year of McSpadden. Uh, It's named McSpadden because of uh, an organist, former organist that was here at First Baptist for over 50 years, George McSpadden played the organ, and and our tenures got to overlap for a little while, and I love him so much. He's with the Lord now, uh, but what an impact he had on this church and on so many of you here, and so his life was, was pretty much dedicated to serving the church and teaching music. And so that's what McSpadden Music Camp is dedicated to do, serving the Lord's church and teaching music to the next generation. So we look forward to that camp beginning tomorrow. Well, if you have your Bibles open up there, uh, opened up there to Acts chapter 4, why don't you go and stand with me out of reverence for the reading of the words of our God. Luke writes, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, in such a way that as the words on this page are being read, God himself is speaking to you. Beginning in verse 23, when they were released... They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves And the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness, while you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Let's pray together. Lord, would you open our hearts and minds today to receive your word, and God, my prayer is that we would be changed by it. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I want to introduce you to one of my idols. And, and what I mean by that is not somebody who I idolize, but one of my heart's idols. This is a, a moment here where we'll turn the pulpit into a confessional for just a moment. My idol comes around every Monday afternoon, typically. Sometimes it's Tuesday morning, sometimes it's earlier, sometimes a little later. But every Monday, my idol shows up. 
And so often my mood for the day and how I feel and how much I trust the Lord and how happy I am can be impacted when my idol shows up. We call it the pastor's report. It's a a little document that Becky and Gina put together for me every week and, and several leaders in the church also get the same document. And that And that little document has on it essential data that I need just to understand how things are going in the church. Now, we're not totally dependent on data and metrics and all that kind of thing. It's not the number one thing that we care about. But at some level or another, we need to know how many people came. We need to know how how much the offering was that week. I need to know who the visitors were that week. It's a really good tool. It's It's a wonderful tool for me to help pastor and lead this church well. And it's a terrible God. It's a terrible God. It's a terrible idol. You know why? Because sometimes it's a really good pastor's report. And when it's a really good pastor's report, I get really excited. And you know what I have a temptation to do? To congratulate myself. Because you know I called every one of you that morning and encouraged you to come to church. I laid all your clothes out for you. I made sure that everybody was ready to go to church that morning. And so I congratulate myself and say, wow, I am so good. But then I really beat myself up other weeks because it was me that paid for your vacation and who made you sick that week and everything. No, of course that's not how it works, right? Yet, in my own heart, sometimes I, I fall victim to these metrics. How much was given? How many people were here? How many visitors do we have? All those things. I can... Be so tempted to obsess over those things. And every church, whether we like it or not, is tempted by those same metrics, is tempted by the numbers. In fact, how you answer the question, how are things going at church, can so often be impacted simply by how many people were there the previous Sunday. When the chimes came, if it looked good on the back of the chimes, you say, you know, things are going pretty well. And so he says, how are things going to church? Well, they were going good till Sunday, you know. Nobody was there. No, we, we all, we all are tempted to obsess over those things and to determine how things are going based on that. But I ask myself the question every week, and I ask you this question this morning. Are we more de- dependent on good numbers? Are we more dependent? on things feeling like they're going well? Are we more dependent on solid metrics? Or are we more dependent on trust and faith in God? Are we dependent on God? Are we asking ourselves questions like, is God moving in our church? Am I growing spiritually in the Lord's church? You see, the most important metric for faith, I I think the best way to measure the faith of a church is to ask the question, how do we pray? How do we pray? Now, I don't have a way to measure how we pray on the pastor's report every week. And yet, that is the question I want to put before us this morning, is how do we pray together? How do we pray as a body Now, I'm not trying to discount your personal prayer lives, and and 99% of the time when we talk about prayer every year uh, on the first or last Sunday of the year, depending on how the calendar works, basically uh, we have um, what we call Prayer Emphasis Sunday. Typically it's the, the first Sunday of the year, the Sunday after Christmas. 
we have Prayer Emphasis Sunday where we come together and pray. And so often my message that morning is on our personal prayer lives. But tomorrow, t- this morning, I, I want to focus on a text and I want to focus on our prayer life together. The corporate prayer of the Lord's church. We need to be reminded that we are totally and completely dependent on God for the work that is done here. And once that truth settles in our hearts and minds, it will change the way we pray as a body. It will change the way we pray corporately. And so I ask you this question, how will our corporate prayer, our prayer together, not, not prayer ministries, not ways that we plan to pray, but just when we pray in our Sunday school rooms, when we pray on Wednesday nights, when we pray on Sunday morning, when we spontaneously meet to pray, how will our prayer be defined? I, I want to show you this passage in the Scriptures that shows us a story of God's people praying together. And from this, I want to show you five ways, five ways that we can pray together. This morning, five, five lessons we can learn from this prayer, this time of corporate prayer in the book of Acts. Five things that we can take from this time of prayer and that we can apply here at First Baptist Church of Gadsden. All right, here's the first. First point this morning is this. Pray God's nature. Pray God's nature. We must pray according to the nature of God. Now what's going on here in this context is Peter and John have been arrested and punished for preaching the gospel. And they've been told to stop preaching. And so as they're sent back, they go back to their friends, the Bible says. And and when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them, telling them to stop preaching. And they said, we can't obey you because we must obey God. And so as they go there to the the chief priests, they begin to pray. This this early church begins to pray. They lift their voices together to God. And they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. That's the first thing they say. The first thing they do is they talk about God's nature. Who is? God is and who God is must shape the way we pray to God they highlight two things about God's nature here there are all kinds of things that we can highlight as we pray God's nature but in this context they are praying two things focusing on two things God's sovereignty and God as creator now why would they do that They're reminding themselves as they pray to God that God is in control. It it seems so often like other people are in control, doesn't it? In in fact, it seems sometimes like we have no control over anything. It can can frustrate some of us. I like to cook sometimes, and when people ask me why I like to cook, I say it relaxes me because it's the one thing in my life I'm in control of. I'm not in control of anything else. You know, I can't make folks do things. I can't make... My family do things, can't make the dog do things, I can't make anything do what I want it to do, but I can control how hot a pan gets, and I like that. Can't control where the golf ball goes, can't control anything, I can control the pan. It's a reminder, though, God is in control. God 
is sovereign. Yeah, they feel out of control because of after you're arrested, nothing, nothing strips you of your agency, quite like being put in jail, quite like being brought before these leaders and rulers, and certainly being accused of acting against God's will and not on behalf of God, which is what they were actually doing. And so praying reminds us of who God is and His power over all things and the fact that we can begin our prayer with, O oh, sovereign God. Oh, sovereign God, my little sister uh, bought a new car this week. My family's in the car business, and so uh, she obviously bought her car from my dad. And I, uh, I became the delivery man yesterday to Atlanta. And so they, she lives in Greenville, South Carolina, with my brother-in-law. They, they live there. And so I took her, her new car to Atlanta to give to her, and we took her old car back from Atlanta uh, that we met them in the middle yesterday. And y'all are going to find this surprising, but on the way there to Atlanta, we found ourselves in traffic. And uh, that's a shocker. I'm 99% sure that I-20 in West Georgia has been under construction since before I was alive. I've, I've never, I've ne- is, am I the only person that feels this way? I don't know what they do there. I don't know. I, I'm sure they're working hard, but I can't figure it out. Every time I go through, a lane's in a different place, and I think if we could just, you know, if you just put two on each side and let us go, I think it'll work. But anyway, I, I'm, I'm close to going on a rant that will never end. So uh, let me just say, we're stuck dead still in traffic. And, and the whole time I'm telling myself, we're going to Atlanta, the traffic won't be bad, it's Saturday, everything will be fine, and I was wrong. And so we sat dead still in traffic in, uh, in West Georgia for an hour yesterday barely barely moving so if you rode by some folks and you saw a little three-year-old boy going to the bathroom on the side of the interstate that was us yesterday and uh on the way to atlanta but here's the reality my kids kept asking me dad can we not go faster dad can you not make this go faster dad can we not get there we're hungry we're ready to get there dad can you not do this and i want to tell you something their prayers were heard but their prayers were not answered. (laughs) Isn't it wonderful to know when you pray, you start your prayer with sovereign God? My kids had a dad that can't do anything, but you have a God that can do everything. He is in control. And so praying reminds us of who God is and His power over all things. And then praying God's nature is a balm to our worry. We're reminded that God is in control. Praying God's nature bolsters our faith because we are praying to a sovereign God who created all things. He is bigger than us. He is other than us. He is greater than us. He is in control and He is not impotent. He is able to do something when we pray to Him sovereign God. We must pray God's nature. But second of all, I I would also furthermore encourage you to pray God's word. Pray God's word. Verses 25 and 26. Speaking of the sovereign Lord, who, verse 25, through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against His anointed. We must pray God's word. 
Earlier this year with my growth group, we read a book called Praying the Bible by Donald Whitney, one of my seminary professors. It's a wonderful book, that, and in it he talks about the symptom that many of us have when we go to pray. Anybody ever felt like this? Did you go to pray, and what do you wind up doing? Saying the same things over and over and over again until you fall asleep. Now listen, everybody thinks that's a problem with them, but it's a symptom I've noticed among many, many Christians. And, and Dr. Whitney's uh, solution to that is to use the Scriptures as a guide to prayer. This is a very biblical idea. In fact, you see here that these early believers are praying the Scriptures because praying God's Word gives us the words to pray. In counseling situations and just time spent with many of you, you've told me before, in, in times when you are in great pain and agony in your life, when your heart's broken, when you're struggling, you've said, Pastor, I just don't know what to pray. I don't know how to pray. I can't find the words to pray. And, and, and the beautiful thing is that the Scripture teaches us that when we don't have the words to pray, the Spirit intercedes on our behalf, but perhaps it would be a comfort to you to pray the Bible, to pray God's Word. It gives us the words to pray. It also frames our prayers biblically. It gives us a biblical framework for our prayers. We know that we are praying the heart of God when we pray according to the Word. But also important in the life of every believer, praying God's Word gives comfort. Praying God's Word gives comfort to the believer. Imagine how comforting it is, right? For them to be brought in before these magistrates, for them to be brought in, and they're, and they're chastised for preaching the gospel. And imagine then how wonderful it is to go back and to quote Psalm 2 as they pray. A psalm that predicted that this sort of thing would happen. A, a psalm that, that spoke to the comfort that one can find in the midst of these things by the end of it. Because the Lord is in His holy temple, the Lord laughs in this situation, praying God's word gives comfort. You see, this scripture was directly related to what they were going through. When we pray scriptures that are related to what we're going through, it gives us comfort. It gives us comfort in difficult times. So we must pray God's nature, we must pray God's word, but we must also pray Christ's example. We must pray Christ's example. Now we've already looked at one example that Christ has given us, the model prayer, the Lord's Prayer, that both Nathan and Woody have both alluded to this morning. But, but, but what I'm talking about here when I say praying Christ's example is, I mean, praying in your situation according to what Christ has done for you. Or finding a situation that Jesus went through that's at least at some level comparable to what you're going through and praying according to that. We, 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 we all remember the WWJD bracelets. WWJ, what would Jesus do? Well, let me just give you a new idea here. PWJD, pray what Jesus did. Pray what Jesus did. You see, praying Christ's example reminds us of the gospel, and we desperately need to be reminded of the gospel when we what does the Bible say? Verse 27, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do what? To do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. 
In other words, even these horrible things that Jesus went through were, were still in the hands of a sovereign God. They were never outside the control of a loving Father. And so they're being reminded then of what Jesus did. And what they're saying is, even though we've been arrested and forbidden to preach the gospel, we know that Jesus went through the same. In fact, Jesus went through worse. And in the end, they crucified him. And he was then raised from the dead. And so they can look to the example of Christ and say, no matter how bad things get here, we know that the gospel is true. So when we pray Christ's example, we're reminded of the gospel. I've done this many times in my life. Times when I felt like I was under fire or being chastised by the Lord or whatever else. And I go over to the book of Hebrews and it says, You have not yet resisted sin to the point of shedding your blood. And I'm reminded in that moment instantaneously of the one who did resist sin to the point of shedding his blood. In fact, shedding his blood on the cross for my sins. We're reminded of what Jesus did and it reminds us of the gospel. And then it also shrinks our circumstances. Because no matter how bad our circumstances are, they're not worse than Christ's were. But then praying Christ's example also inspires us to press on. We're reminded of Jesus who, for the joy set before him, endured the cross despising the shame. We're inspired to press on. And buddy, do we need inspiration to press on in the Christian life. Pray Christ's example. Fourth of all, pray for boldness. Pray for boldness. I've noticed that Christians are afraid these days. But I've noticed that Christians are afraid. That we fear the future. We fear the present. You, know, you think about it just in the way we talk and what we do and the way we act. We're so afraid. We're so afraid that politics aren't going to go our way. We're so afraid that the culture isn't going our way. We're so afraid and scared and worried a lot. And so so typically the way we pray when we're afraid is we pray, God, don't let this happen. Something bad happens the way I usually, you know how I pray when something bad happens to me? Lord, please never let that happen again. God, I don't ever want to go through that again. There are things I look back on my life now, and I'll just stop, and I get a knot in my stomach about it, and I, I'll pray, God, don't, please don't make me go through that again. But how did these believers pray, brothers and sisters? What, what's said here in verse 29? And now, Lord, look upon their threats, right, and knock their teeth out. And now, Lord, look upon their threats, and God, we pray that some Christians will get elected to these offices. Lord, look upon these threat, their threats, and Lord, we pray that you'll strike them all dead. No, that's not what they say, is it? Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. There's nothing wrong with praying that we'll live peacefully. The Bible tells us to pray for that. Nothing wrong to pray that folks who are uh, loving and generous and gracious toward Christian people ought to lead all countries so that the gospel can go forth. There's nothing wrong with those things, but it ought not to be our primary prayer. Our primary prayer ought to be, God, help us be faithful no matter what they do. 
no matter what the world says, no matter what we go through, God, help us be bold through persecution and threats. You see, so often we tend to pray for ease rather than boldness. God, would you make it easier to preach the gospel the way we're already preaching it? When God is asking us to change, to become bolder, to to be steadfast and firm in the midst of trials, we must be bold in the midst of persecution and threats, and we must be bold in the midst of difficulties. We must boldly preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. The reason we pray for boldness is because we need boldness in gospel proclamation. You see, the worst things are, we we ought not to be afraid, and we ought not to be worried, and we ought not to be frustrated because of the way the world around us is. I do, I do. I I encounter Christians who are consumed by fear about the future of the church in this country. Consumed by fear. But I want to encourage you, if you feel afraid about the condition of our country spiritually and morally and everything else, Stop seeing it as such a frustrating thing or such a scary thing and transform the way you see it as an opportunity. What an opportunity. You know, I, I'm, I'm glad that God didn't send me to a Christian utopia to preach the gospel. I, I'm glad that we've got brokenness, that I want to be as close to sinners as I could possibly be preaching the gospel. And God's granting us that opportunity, even here in the Bible Belt, where there's brokenness and sinfulness all around us, people who desperately need Jesus, we must pray that we will be clear and bold in our gospel proclamation, even when it's painful to do so. Even when it hurts. And finally, not only must we pray for boldness, we must pray with expectation. We must pray in faith. We must pray with expectation that God will answer our prayers. While you, the Bible says, stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. We must pray expecting God to answer. And, and so what do they do? They say, God, we know that even though we've been arrested, that's not going to stop the amazing things that you're doing to spread the gospel in the world right now. Now, if you want to talk about the way that God's given spiritual gifts and you want to try to understand better the way that the Spirit works today versus maybe how He was working and functioning in the book of Acts, that's a great conversation for us to have. I can recommend some good reading for you. But, but just know this morning, this is enough to know, that, that they recognized that what God was doing could not be thwarted by man. They pray and say, God, keep doing what you're doing. Keep keep attesting to the truth of the gospel through these miraculous works. They prayed expecting God to answer, knowing that no group of men could slow the gospel down. They, They prayed expecting God to work mightily. And and so often we're tempted to focus on the miracles focus on the signs and wonders, to focus on the healings. And those things were very important in the history of what God's done through the church. And yet, 
Throughout the New Testament, it makes very plain that what's more important than any miracle or any sign or any wonder is the clear preaching of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul says he'd rather have one clear word of prophecy, one clear word of gospel preaching than all, all sorts of tongues because he wants the church to be edified. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And what did they do? They continued to speak the word of God with boldness. And you notice what they didn't do. Now, obviously, they're asking God, God, help us be bold. Help us preach with boldness. You know, you don't pray that if you're not feeling like, hey, this is going to be a struggle for us. You don't pray that unless you're starting to feel a, a sort of reluctance to do what you've been doing. Until you're starting to kind of feel encouraged to lay low, you don't, you don't pray that. But what did they do? They didn't sit around here and wait till they felt bold. Right? We don't have a waiting period. Oh, okay, Lord, as soon as I feel bold, I'm going to go out and preach. No, they prayed and asked God, God, give me boldness to preach. And then what did they do? They continued, the Bible says, to speak the word of God with boldness. That is, they just went out and got to it, trusting that God would supply the strength they needed in the process. Brothers and sisters, this is how you pray with expectation. You pray, you ask God in faith, and then you get after it in Jesus' name. Filled with the Spirit, knowing that you're doing God's will according to the Word, we go after it, praying with expectation. And so we don't come to prayer meeting and, and pray, God, would you save sinners in our midst? And Lord, once we feel confident enough to go out and share the gospel, then we will. No, brothers and sisters, we pray regularly, God, help sinners be saved through the ministry of this church and the ministry of all the churches in the world. And God, we pray that in Jesus' name, and then boom, we hit the ground running Leading people to Christ in Jesus' name. Brothers and sisters, we must be a people of prayer who are totally dependent on God as a church to do the work that we've been called to do. It is Him who called us. It is Him who has equipped us. It is Him who sustains us. And it is Him who continually leads us to do what He has called us to do. We are completely and totally dependent on God for the work here. But our hope and our prayer is that as we pray, as we lift our voices together as these saints in the New Testament did, that we will have demonstrated to us the power of God that is in direct response to the prayers of His people.